Dealmaker Insights, the podcast brought to you by Reed Smith's corporate and finance lawyers from around the globe. In this podcast series, we explore the various legal and financial issues impacting your deals. Should you have any questions on any of the content through this series, please contact our speakers. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Dealmaker Insights. This is uh, a podcast about tips and tricks for startups before financing. Uh, I'm here today with my colleague, Amy Kung. Amy, it's lovely seeing you here today, and thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me, Leeling. Uh, just, um, I know I've uh, introduced myself before, but I am Leeling Po. I'm chair of the U.S. Emerging Growth and Venture Capital Group at Reed Smith, and also a partner in our global corporate group. Uh, Amy, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, would love to. I am a corporate associate in Reed Smith's um, San Francisco office. I'm also in the global corporate group with Leeling as well. And, you know, we work together pretty closely on, you know, various matters representing companies and connection with a wide range of transactions, including, you know, M&A, general corporate matters, as well as debt and equity finance transactions which kind of leads us and segues us into what we plan to talk about today. Yes, definitely. We've, uh, especially on the venture capital financing side, we've worked a lot on both company as well as investor side. And I think we've seen some good things to keep in mind as a company is heading towards its first large, I would say, institutional round of financing. And it's very important to start off on the right foot. I think generally it would be good. It's good to maintain uh, good books and records on the company's part, as well as keeping a very accurate uh, capitalization or cap table. Do you have any sort of thoughts about these couple of points? Yeah, so I would say, you know, I think it's very important for companies to work with their company council um, in the early stages of their comp- of starting their company and putting together an electronic data room to kind of house your corporate records. So we're talking about you know minutes or board consents, board actions, stockholder consents, things like that. And it's nice to just have everything in one place. Nowadays, I think it's pretty simple to kind of set up an electronic data room and grant access to various members on your team. And I would also say kind of on the capitalization front, Leeling, you know, what we tend to come across is making sure that the cap table is updated and maintained on a, you know, regular basis. We want to make sure that there are no outstanding equity claims from former equity holders. We want to make sure that equity holders have signed the appropriate documentation when they are issued equity in the company. Um, But also if any equity holders are leaving the company to making sure that that's also documented appropriately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we've seen sometimes outstanding claims, perhaps by consultants um, that have remained unresolved, which becomes sort of a gating issue when it comes to the financing itself. And at that point, it gives the consultant or, you know, the other or former founder or individual a lot of leverage to negotiate a deal at that point. So we like to have all of those tied out prior to a financing event. Yeah. How about IP assignments, Amy? Any thoughts there? Um, I would say for IP assignments, I think this is particularly important for founders and um, any type of individual who is developing IP for the company. So whether it's consultants or 
um, empo key employees, we want to make sure that uh, we have proprietary information agreements in place for all those employees and to make sure that the contracts that are being entered into with independent contractors and consultants include IP assignment language. Um, you know, this just protects the company and ensures that all the IP stays with the company, no matter where those relationships kind of end up. Yeah, and I think we've been surprised in the past that, you know, maybe a former founder or a consultant or independent contractor who has touched the technology has actually not signed signed a uh, proprietary assignment agreement. So it was just, it's definitely happened um, based on what we've seen in the past. Yeah, I, I think we've definitely came across it pretty recently on a financing where, you know, we really had to dig into all of the um, independent contractor and consulting agreements and making sure that they had the appropriate IP assignment language. And there was kind of a complex layer to that, um, that I'm sure Leeling remembers where we had to kind of dig into different jurisdictions to make sure the language, you know, kind of protected the company and the IP. Yeah. And it happens actually more often than not. And it's also a very standard representation that's asked in each round of financing that, you know, each present and former employee and consultant or independent contractor has signed this uh, IP assignment agreement. So definitely an important point to note. In terms of the diligence process, I guess, um, we spoke a little bit earlier about putting together an electronic data room. Do you have any, I guess, best practices for setting up a data room and how to go about it? Yeah, so I think this is where it would be helpful uh, for the company to already kind of have an electronic data room set up. Then it would be easier to kind of transfer that documents, uh, those documents in response to a due diligence request list. So typically to kind of kickstart the financing process, and, you know, investors would kind of put together a due diligence request list, asking the company to provide information and uploading documents related to that information onto an electronic data room. And so I would suggest companies work very closely with their company counsel to make sure that they organize the data room in accordance with the due diligence request list and start kind of gathering those materials. Because in some cases, I think it takes a lot of time and thought to kind of process the request and then kind of go out and gather those materials for review. And I'd say, you know, being able to put together a very organized and clean data room puts the company in a better position because they get the benefit of the doubt from investors. And I also think that it's a good time to kind of take stock of the company's books and records. And so if there's anything missing or that needs to be tracked down, maybe a document isn't fully executed at that point, you know, it's a good chance to identify those sort of gaps and fill those in before, you know, they're identified by, you know, an investor at that point. Yeah, that's definitely a good point, Leeling. I feel like it's a good time for the company to kind of look at what they have as a whole and then make sure that everything kind of looks in order and, you know, all the all the I's are dotted and all the T's are crossed. <laughs> What's the phrase crossed? <laughs> all the I's are done and all the T's are crossed. Uh, and it kind of, that kind of segues into kind of the next point I think that we wanted to, to chat about, which is, you know, during the due diligence process, investors sometimes will identify 
some some issues or cleanup requests that they've discovered during the diligence process. And so we've we've uh, worked on financings where the investor has you know had some post closing cleanup requests or post closing covenants related to these cleanup requests that they'd like the company to take care of on a post closing basis. Yeah, I think that's a good point because you know if those gaps aren't identified early and the company is not able to get those resolved prior to closing, then, you know, we've typically seen it become a post-closing covenant. So the obligation is still there. So sometimes it's helpful to have, you know, the cleanup done uh, initially than, you know, waiting um, and having to still do it anyways. So in particular, I guess, when we're thinking about common issues that pop up during the diligence process or, you know, gaps that we see, what have you seen, Amy? I know we've worked on a lot of transactions. We've seen a lot of data rooms. Um, I guess, you know, what are some of your takeaways coming out of that process? I would say we tend to see a lot of gaps in corporate governance approvals. That request tends to require some time for the company to gather. In some cases, they haven't really gone and gone out and gotten the right approvals they needed to do certain actions on behalf of the company. So that tends to be something that we come across pretty often when we're doing the diligence process. There tends to also be a lack of securities filings. And so for early stage companies, there tends to be founder stock issuances, potentially a stock option plan. They may have already gone through you know, a note financing round or, or a series seed round. And we, we tend to see a lack of securities filings for those specific issuances. And so that tends to be something we like to follow up with the company on. There's also employment issues that tend to arise. Um, we, we come across a lot of employee and independent contractor misclassification. I think in the startup stage, a lot of companies tend to use a lot of independent contractors, but they may not necessarily understand that they're treating them, treating them like an employee and there's some issues around that. Yeah, there are definitely liabilities if there are misclassifications, and especially misclassification issues. And especially here in California, that's something that we're very aware of. And we work very closely with our labor and employment colleagues to make sure that the individual is properly classified. And so that's, yeah, that's definitely an area that we see a lot of focus, we've seen focus on and where there have been um, some deficiencies. I think we also spoke about IP ownership and IP assignment earlier about how sometimes, you know, folks haven't signed, properly signed the right agreements or assigned fully uh, all of the IP developed to the company. Yeah, so that's, I think that's a common issue we do see too, where we want to just make sure that the contracts that are being entered into with founders, key employees, all employees, independent contractors, consultants kind of include proper IP assignment language. How about internal policies and procedures, things, you know, more general or overarching policies that the company should have? Yeah, so I feel like for early stage companies, that tends to not really be the focus because they feel like they're so young, they're, they're so focused on developing their product or their, their IP and that they tend to forget that there should be some internal policies and procedures in place. So sometimes we do see companies 
um, not develop their employee handbook or ensure that they're working with the labor and employment person to make sure that all of the key laws and regulations are addressed in their employee handbook. So we do come across that pretty often, as well as um, not having, you know, a data security, privacy, or IT policy in place internally for their company. Yeah, we've also seen those being implemented on a post-closing basis as well, which I think also makes sense because if the company then closes around a financing, they probably have the resources then to sort of implement these on a post-closing basis, working with counsel and sometimes subject to the reasonable approval of the lead investor as well. Yeah, that's definitely a good point. We've talked about uh, putting together a data room, uh, gaps, you know, in diligence. What are other things that uh, a company needs to keep in mind once the term sheet is finalized? Yeah, so I I think one of the key things in order to ensure a smooth financing is understanding the players. And so it's helpful to have one person on the company side to work with company counsel to kind of understand the stakeholders of the company. For example, you know, the board does have to eventually approve the financing and make sure that the terms that are getting approved are beneficial for the company and its equity holders. And so we want to make sure that we're not constantly going back to the board members to obtain their approval and just making sure that the materials are in a close to final shape before we then loop in our board members to ensure that they are in line with the financing. We also want to just make sure too that the company is, is familiar with their equity holders because we don't want to come across any unexpected surprises from any existing equity holders of the company. Yeah, I think, you know, because a board is usually comprised of multiple individuals. So if for every single turn of the document that you're sort of dealing with, and if you have to run that by every single member of the board, that gets pretty cumbersome. So we found it very helpful to have one person sort of designated to liaise with the board who's given a lot of ability to basically help bring the documents close to final before they're sent to the board for their final approval. And this can be, you know, an officer of the company. It can be frequently, it's also a founder, a founder who also sits on the board, or it can be, you know, a board director, but that has been very, very helpful. And typically this person will also know or have a good sense of how the existing equity holders in the company will feel about certain provisions, you know, whether, for example, information rights need to be expanded so that existing equity holders can also have access to financial information based on their own reporting requirements, things like that. How about sort of managing and dealing with the investor, Amy? Uh, you know, taking a step back and then looking at the other party to the transaction. Yeah, so I feel like on the investor side, I think when the financing end is a point where we are close to closing, we tend to like to ensure that everyone is on the same page and that we understand both the internal process of the company, but also the internal process of investors, because everyone's going to kind of have their own steps that they need to take before they're ready to fund. And so we like to kind of prompt our clients to determine the timing of when funding needs to happen to ensure that that kind of goes smoothly. And we've also come across situations in the past where other financings that we worked on where the investor needs time to kind of 
obtain their internal approvals before they're ready to gather the signature pages they need and, and wire the funds. And so it's really good to ensure that there's good communication between counsel, the business team, our client, as well as investors involved in the financing. Yeah, I think it's good to have that conversation up front to set expectations on both sides, especially if the parties have, particularly I think the company has a certain funding date in mind. It can be uncomfortable to address this, but I think it's an important point because there have been times where perhaps one party has a certain expectation of when they can fund and that is different from uh, the understanding of the other party. And then, you know, uh, making sure funding happens on a certain date becomes very difficult at that point. And so that, I think, is an important conversation to have as uh, the documents are sort of like are getting close to being in a final form. It's good to just confirm process and expectations at that point. Yeah, that's a good point. I feel like it's sometimes uncomfortable when folks aren't really on the same page. But I think that's kind of our role as counsel, both to either company side or investor side, to kind of have those conversations, get everyone organized and make sure everyone is on the same page. Yeah, especially if we're talking about foreign investors being part of the mix as well. I think, you know, there you also have to account for time differences and other things too. So, yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Amy. Uh, hopefully everyone found this helpful. We appreciate your listening in to this podcast. Uh, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to either of us. Our information is on the Reed Smith website. Thank you, everyone, and take care. Dealmaker Insights is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Ali McArdle. For more information about Reed Smith's corporate and financial industry practices, please email dealmakerinsights at reedsmith.com. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, reedsmith.com, and on our social media accounts at reedsmithllp on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. Any views, opinions, or comments made by any external guest speaker are not to be attributed to Reed Smith LLP or its individual lawyers. All rights reserved.